0: Hello and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Larry Vold. We're excited that uh, all of you are here today. We start a new series today. You can find your sermon outline there in your bulletin. And uh, let's make our way to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As you're doing that, just a little reminder, at the beginning of a new series, we take a couple of minutes and just remind everybody that we love to have our teaching time as distraction-free as possible. You remember just not to move around too much, or if you got to get up and leave somewhere, uh, just do that as discreetly as you can. Um, if you've got little children in the, in the crowd with us today, we, first of all, you got to know we have an amazing children's ministry all the way from the cradle up. And so we hope that you will see the value of bringing your little ones, toddlers, infants, babies, into our children's ministry uh, but for whatever reason, if you got them with you in service this morning, at the first sign of getting fussy or a little bit uh, distracted, would you just simply slip up and move out to a common area? We just want to limit the distraction. Okay, we okay with that? That's just a little reminder. We do that every now and then. That really helps our usher staff out a lot. Appreciate that. All right, so today we start on this five part series. It's a little series, it's a mini series. We're calling it Ministry Matters, a priority list for doing ministry in the local church. And what this is about is reminding us of the practical meaning of how to use our spiritual gifts, how to serve in a way that honors God. I've found that most Christians look at Christianity sort of as a spectator sport. You kind of come, you sit, you watch, and then you leave. And that's where a lot of people are in their Christian journey. But that's not God's will for us. God doesn't want us to come, and like one pastor said, sit, soak, and then sour. He wants us to come into his presence and to see what he's called us to do and be a part of that, get involved, and let God use us to touch others and to move his kingdom forward. This series will help us engage with this part of our process, you know our process is really simple, starts with worship, moves to community, and then into service, and this is a series that's going to help us connect with the process of service. Now when we teach on service, we always try to coincide that series, if we do a series on service, with the fun season in our ministry known as Volunteer Appreciation Month. And next month, February, which starts next Sunday, for four weeks, we're going to be celebrating our volunteers. Volunteer Appreciation Month. And basically for the entire month, we're going to be throwing a party. Are you ready for that? Are you okay with that? All right. First service, they were not sure. I don't know if they remembered the fun we had last year. We had pizzas. We had fun in the connection area. For an entire month, we're just going to celebrate our volunteers. And then the last Sunday of the month of February, something real special. I'm not even going to tell you today about it. You'll have to come next week and hear what we're doing. So... It starts next week, Volunteer Appreciation Month, and today's just a little primer, just a little bit of a a launching pad for where we're going in this series, and I hope you'll lock in. Here's where we're going to be as a series overview. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, so you can be reading through that. You can be looking at it, maybe asking some questions of yourself and of the text, and then on Sundays, we're going to be dissecting this section of scripture, and because it's only five weeks, we won't be drilling down too deep into all of this scripture, but we will be looking at things, I hope, meaty enough, and I trust to get us excited enough about what these principles mean for us in our lives. As an overview, what we're going to be doing the next five weeks are going to compel us to see what matters in ministry, and here's what matters. Number one, God's glory matters. That's the first thing we're going to see. Number two, we're going to see that others matter. Number three, we're going to see that what we do matters. Number four, we're going to see that mutual support matters. And lastly, in terms of using our spiritual gifts, we're going to see that love matters most. Now we're going to look at this all through the book of 1 Corinthians, specifically chapters 12 through 14. So today we're going to be looking at the first six, ver- six verses, and, uh, and if you're there, which I need to get there now, let's follow along as I read the first six verses. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your word, and it's, it's beautiful to just sit before it and let it teach us, Lord. And I pray that today in this little short passage we might see some Maybe dramatic things that we need to be doing different in our lives as it, as it comes to our part of serving in the body. And I pray, Lord, that if you brought anyone to this service this morning that needs a relationship with you, that somehow, Lord, they will hear the invitation of the gospel for them to come and follow you and experience new life through Jesus Christ. And I pray this in your name. Amen. All right. It's simply one point in the message this morning. And, you, and I've got it right there on your outline. That giving glory to God in the area of our spiritual gifts comes from the following five things. I'm going to suggest to you that this section, verses 1 through 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is all about pointing everything back to the God who gives us gifts. You see, where a lot of times we start thinking about spiritual gifts and our need to serve in the body of Christ and be involved, do all these things, a lot of times we get off to the wrong start, we start thinking it's all about us. We start thinking it's about what we do and what gifts we have and how do we work and how do we work with each other and it's sort of this you know, horizontal look at each other, but God wants us to look up. He wants us to have a vertical look. When we think about spiritual gifts and getting involved in the body of Christ, He wants us to focus on Him. He wants us to see, he wants us to see His glory, His majesty, and His power. And that's where the whole discussion of involvement in the body of Christ begins, and, and specifically thinking about spiritual gifts in the ministry of the local church. So there's five things I want to point out that I think help us or speak up to this glory of God if we're going to glorify God with our gifts, with what God has given to us in our involvement in ministry. Here are five things I'm going to suggest to you right out of the text that will help us to see and, and, and uh, honor and glorify the Lord, the Lord God. The first one uh, has to do with this word development. It comes from development. Just say the word development. That's a simple word. I see that in verse 1 where Paul opens this passage by saying now about spiritual gifts. What what Paul is using here is what I'm calling a formula to explain some issues that the Corinthians were having a hard time understanding. So if you're taking notes, what I mean by development and bringing glory to God is I mean gaining an understanding of the importance and proper use of spiritual gifts in the body, gaining an understanding of the importance and the proper use of spiritual gifts in the body. Now I don't know how many of you know much about the, the, the church at Corinth, but uh, Paul first visited the city of Corinth. It was a major Greco-Roman populace there uh, in first century. Uh, we read about Paul's entrance to this city in Acts chapter 18 verses one and following where Paul makes his visit to the city of Corinth. It was on his second missionary journey. This would have been about 51 AD or so. And as the Apostle Paul made his journey into Corinth, he observed a city that was full of idols. It was a a, a metropolis of wealth and materialism and, and huge immorality. In fact, if you do a study, just a secular study of the city of Corinth around this time, you'll first discover that there was the great temple to Aphrodite there in Corinth where there was 1,000 prostitutes that people indulged in, both male and female, uh, for the worship of the god of Aphrodite. This was a, a center, a population of high immorality. And the Apostle Paul, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, And along with the work of some folks named Priscilla and Aquila... And a little more history background, there was an emperor named Claudius who dispersed the Jews from being in Rome, and some of those Jews went out into the Roman Empire, and and Priscilla and Aquila were two individuals like Paul who were tent makers, who did their business on the road uh, of making money and taking care of what they needed to do, and as they went along the way, they were sharing the gospel, they were teaching people about the kingdom of God, and and Paul lived. Linked up with Priscilla and Aquila, and later on, uh, uh, the great Apollos also came to Corinth, and this was an, a, an amazing ministry that began. Uh, the gospel went out the church was founded and the apostle paul got this church off to a great start he was there for about a year and a half and then he went out on more journeys and on his third missionary journey he lands in a place called ephesus and it's believed that probably in ephesus he wrote his first letter back to the corinthians just seeing how they were doing and we read from 1 corinthians chapter 5 verse 9 that there was a letter that Paul had sent that we don't know anything about. That would have been his first letter to the church at Corinth. But we don't have a copy of it. It was lost. Obviously the Holy Spirit did not inspire it for the reading pleasure and for the transformation of God's people. But according to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, there was a group of people from Chloe's household. He names her that came to the Apostle Paul saying that there were some problems erupting in Corinth. And then later on, a delegation was sent, and uh, Paul uh, was, uh, was introduced to the, the division of this church, the problems that were going on in this church, the immorality that was still happening in this church, the society's immorality had crept into the church, and this was a church that had lots of challenges. And so Paul writes the letter of 1 Corinthians as sort of a, an answer to the questions that were brought up and the issues that the Corinthians were dealing with. So when I come back to this little phrase, now about, I mention that because you'll see that phrase at other places in the book. You'll see it in chapter 7, verse 1, where Paul's going to talk about marriage. You'll see it in chapter 8, verse 1, where Paul's going to talk about food sacrifice to idols. You see it here in chapter 12, where he's talking about spiritual gifts, and you see it in chapter 16, verse 1, where he's talking about putting aside an offering that was meant to be given uh, for the the saints in Jerusalem. And so here you've got questions and Paul's bringing some answers. And all I'm suggesting in this opening little section of our talk today is that when it comes to doing ministry in the local church, when it comes to understanding our spiritual gifts, there's just the reality that some of us need development. When you start a new job, oftentimes your employer will assess how well you understand the themes or the topics or the issues that you're in charge of, and a lot of times you'll have to go to some off-site training. You'll need some development. Development is a part of all of our understanding in terms of doing and performing the way we ought to. When it comes to using our spiritual gifts in the local church, in doing ministry, the reality is, is there are many of us that need Development. And we shouldn't be afraid of that. It's all, it's called equipping. It's called getting ready. It's called uh, 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 being prepared to do what God's called us to do. If I were to ask you a few fundamental questions this morning, just think about these questions. You don't have to write anything down. Let me just if if I walked up to you in a conversation, I said, "Hey, do you know what your spiritual gifts are?" Would that like catch you surprised? Would you like go, "Whoa, what is that?" Some of us would. We wouldn't understand. What, what I even meant by, do you know what your spiritual gifts are? There are some mentioned here, you'll see down there, beginning in verse 8 and following, down to about verse 11. In other places in Scripture, Ephesians 4, you'll see it. Romans 12, you'll see it. Uh, you'll see it uh, in a few other places uh, in Scripture. Primarily, these are the major texts that deal with spiritual gifts. But do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Are you confident in the gifts that you possessed? And are you using the spiritual gifts that God has given you in a major way. In other words, are you, are you fully leveraging the way God has uh, gifted you to serve in the body of Christ? And I can, I can just tell by a crowd this size that there are some of us that are just going, what, I don't even know what you're talking about. Spiritual gift? what is that? Do I go to the Christian bookstore and ask, do you have any spiritual gifts? I'd like to buy some. Our pastors talk. Like, what are they? No. They're not little things that come in packages. They are giftings, enablings by the Spirit of God for us to carry out various ministries in the local church to move the church forward, to advance the kingdom work, and to fulfill your life and to bless others around you. And the reality is some of us have never engaged in that process. We don't know what that means. So for the next five weeks, I hope you'll come and you'll understand a little bit more. You won't get it all because you can literally take years to discover these things and understand what the principles are from Scripture, but we're going to be touching on these areas for the next five weeks. So what I'm just saying to you, again, is that some of us need this uh, uh, development. By the way, today is uh, Life Transformation Seminar 101. Uh, If you go to 101 today, you qualify for 201, which will happen in a couple of months or maybe next month. And then you'll qualify for going to 201 to go to 301. And at 301, we deal with your spiritual shape, the way God has gifted you, the passions He's put in your heart. What would God want you to do? And it's a fantastic seminar on this very topic that we're dealing with here today. So I want to encourage you and remind you that if you if you're feeling like you need some development in this area, can I say today would be a good launching place for you to go to 101 so that you'll be ready when 301 comes around, okay? Here's the second thing I see in this text. Not only do you need, might you need development to bring glory to God and the use of your spiritual gifts, but you might also need discernment. Say the word discernment. Now discernment... Deals with verses 2 and 3 where we come up with this really curious place. Paul says, You know that when you are pagan, somehow or other you are influenced led astray by mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Wow, I know a lot. Of, I've read Bible commentaries that completely avoid verse 3. I don't know how to deal with that thing. So I've done a little research looking at it, and there are various opinions about what's being said here. I mean, I, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure out that if I stood up and said, Jesus be cursed, you wouldn't have a hard time saying, I, I don't think that's of the Spirit, Larry. Right? I hope that you would understand that. But, but uh, evidently, this was happening at Corinth. There were people that were claiming to be followers of Jesus who were somehow saying, Jesus be cursed, And the Apostle Paul has to say, wait a minute, I'm going to give you a little test here to see what this is about. I'm going to get to that in just a second, but let me back up to verse 2, where Paul talks about what they were before they came to Christ. When they were pagan, isn't that a great word, pagan? Ever consider yourself being a pagan before you came to know Christ? I mean, that's just a, I don't know, it's a a funny word to me. Anyway, just means someone that's without God, someone's pushed God out of their life, don't need God in their life, don't want God in their life. That's a pagan, Okay. And, and when we were pagans, we were influenced and led astray by mute idols. And this was the Corinthian story. They were just led away. They were entrenched in idolatrous worship. The Greco-Roman world had all kinds of gods and goddesses. goddesses. The pantheon of gods was for the taking if you were a Greek person living in the, in the time of Rome. And, uh, and, and so here was this amazing birth of the church where people left their idolatry and they followed Christ. Now, let's get a little glimpse as to what these people came out of. Go back to chapter 6 for just a moment. Chapter 6, and we'll pick it up in verse 9, where Paul writes a little bit about the background of these folks. And you know what? Some of us might find our background to be similar to what the Corinthians came out of too. He starts, he says, don't you know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. By the way, all those are present tense. The idea of you, you can't claim to have that as your identity and say, I'm a follower of Christ. Okay, We might struggle in some of those areas. Christians fall in all kinds of areas we just read there. But you can't practice those lifestyles or those behaviors, practicing them without any deference to the lordship of Christ and call yourself a follower of Jesus. Paul says, don't be deceived. Those folks that identify this way that choose these lives, that choose these behaviors on an ongoing basis, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, look at verse 11. And that is what some of you were. Oh, I love this. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If you have your own Bibles there, I just have, have you underline the word Were. In verse 11, it's mentioned three times, you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. That verb is in the aorist tense, which means it's already happened, it's already occurred, and what has occurred in the past has had an ongoing present result in your life. So when God looks at your life, beloved, and here comes the good news of the gospel, he doesn't see you the way you used to be. No matter what you came out of, whether it was in that list or any other list that you want to add to, you were washed, and that means you are washed, you were sanctified, you are sanctified, you were justified, and you are justified. And this is God's work in the gospel. This is the amazing good news. We're not trying to work our way to heaven. We're not trying to earn our salvation. We come out of terrible ridiculously immoral backgrounds or just a resistance to follow the lordship of christ which is the greatest sin the greatest sin is the sin of unbelief to posture yourself in such a way as to say i don't need god i can do my own thing thank you you might be a philanthropist you might be a behaviorist you might be kind to your neighbors you might be a beautiful person in every way but say god uh, no thanks i got this and that is according to god the greatest sin to see yourself as one who is created in the image of God to give glory to God and to reject that glory and do everything in your life for yourself. That's the greatest sin. And the, the, uh, the outgrowth of that kind of sin that says, no, God, thank you very much. I'll, I got this one on my own. The outgrowth, the symptoms of all that are found right here in this passage. We, we, go, we, we go our own way and, and into many, many vices in our lives. So I just want to point out that, that it's good news to embrace the gospel because God takes us from where we are and he makes us into new creations. And that's found also in 2 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the 2 Corinthians in chapter uh, 5, verse 17. So let's go back to this tough little saying that we're looking at here just to give you some help on what does it mean that someone could say Jesus is cursed, Jesus be cursed. The word is anath- uh, anathema in the Greek language. It means damned. And by the way, there are people that swear. You ever hear people say they use God's name and then they say damn? You ever heard that? That's 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 kinda comes out, I think, from this, because there's something in all of us that is very pompous and arrogant when we want to bring damnation down on somebody's life from the greatest authority that there is, which is God, right? And so when people use God's name and then they damn something or someone, that's the, the, the idea. There's something inside of us that want to just, you know. We're calling down the greatest authority we know. And pagans and people that don't even follow Christ use that expression. Have you noticed that? It's amazing to me. It's like our spirits are tuned. There's one who deserves glory and instead of giving him glory, we use his glory to damn other things and other people. And that's That shows you the depravity of our souls. But what is happening here where Paul says, look, if somebody says, Jesus, be damned, Jesus, be cursed, I'm just telling you that's not from the Spirit. Well, I'd say, duh. But here's here's a couple ideas of what might be happening here. First of all, the book of Deuteronomy, the, uh, the 21st chapter, tells us, in verse 23, that cursed or damned is the one who hangs on a tree. It was the, it was the Old Testament prophets who said that, there was, that, that a person who would be hung would be damned or, or uh, cursed. And there was a movement, apparently, at Corinth, where people started suggesting that Jesus, because he died on a cross was actually cursed. And they were still followers of God, but they were using perhaps the Old Testament axiom of this curse, "Who those who hang on a tree, uh, as, as a statement of, the, of their argument. And Paul is going to straighten that out right off when he's saying that is not of the Spirit. I think there's a more compelling argument even than that. And that is, not yet in full bloom, but emerging was the teaching of Gnosticism. G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M. Gnostics believed that knowledge was enough to save. And one of the branches of Gnosticism was docetic belief or docetism. And the word docet in the Greek language means to appear. Docetic means to appear or seem like. And there was a teaching in Gnosticism that went something like this. We saw Jesus... He claimed to be the son of God, but when he went to the cross, he didn't really die there because he's not really a man. God came to us, but he only appeared to be a man so that we could relate to him. And this was a a prominent teaching that goes full bloom by the second century AD, that Jesus was a phantom being. Now this sounds really weird to some of us, but I'm just giving you a little background to some of the heresies that were introduced to the church in the first and second century. And this is one of them. Jesus was a phantom being. He was not flesh. He was only spirit. And he only appeared to have flesh. Well, why is that important to us? Why is that or uh, an issue that we want to take up. Well, we want to take up that issue because First John, you remember 1 John 4, any spirit that does not confess Jesus has come in the flesh is of what? Antichrist. You know that? 1 John chapter 4, look at it, verses 1 and 2. So if we say that this Jesus came, but he really didn't come in the flesh, oh, we believe that God visited us, but he really didn't take on our human persona. He didn't take on human flesh. The Bible says that's the message of Antichrist. And that's not of the Spirit. And there must have been, I'm thinking here, and I can't prove this, it's just a theory, but that there were fragments or the emerging of Gnosticism and Doceticism, even at Corinth, in a place that was so filled with pagan idolatry that that message started taking on some steam in this church. And so there were people getting up and saying, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. We worship Jesus, but not the Jesus that you say came in the flesh. He was a spirit being. That Jesus that you talked about in the flesh, let that Jesus be damned. Wow. And Paul says, "Uh uh-uh. No, you cannot say Jesus be cursed of the spirit nor can you say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. And this is where I love it. It kind of turns the corner for me. Watch this. If you're taking notes, I'd write this down. The true work of the Spirit is always one that honors the historical Christ who is to be worshipped and proclaimed as Lord over all. That's the truth. If you want to get a picture of Jesus, you look at Jesus who came as God, like we heard beautifully sung this morning, who left the glories of heaven, who came to this earth, who gave his life, lived a perfect life, gave his life in the flesh. He received a body. The book of Hebrews goes into this, waxes eloquently on that. If Jesus didn't take on a physical body, he couldn't relate to us in our physical needs. Jesus took on our physical frame so that he could experience everything we experienced except sin. Praise God, he never sinned, never fell to temptation. And he gave his body as a sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. Remember our study of Leviticus? Do I have to remind you that it requires a perfect sacrifice to not just cover sin, but to forgive sin forever? Jesus is the fulfillment of every Levitical sacrifice ever sacrificed on any altar, anywhere. Jesus fulfilled it because he came in a body, he gave his body, and three days later, he rose again from the grave, and he promises eternal life and a beautiful, amazing following him him, a life following him, if we will simply lay down our lives and trust him and follow him. I mean, that's, this is a, a synopsis of the gospel. And Paul says, if you're going to get involved in the local church the way you need to, you not only need development, but you need discernment. Now, why is this important for us? Let me tell you why. <laughs> there, there are a lot of Jesuses out there today. Have you noticed? Oh, my goodness. There's the Jesus of this cult and that cult, and they all say something different about who he is. They might even have fragments of truth, and that's what gets hard. You start arguing with people, well, you know, you believe that Jesus, well, no, we don't believe that. Well, you believe, well, okay, we sort of believe that. You've got like these maybe one or two little things that are like, but not. There are Jesuses all over out there by the cults and just opinions of people in the world about Jesus that are absolutely false. And will lead people down a road of absolute destruction if they follow that Jesus. And what makes it worse is that there are people in the evangelical church who have adopted a Jesus that I don't believe is the Jesus of the Bible. Let me describe a Jesus that is only there for you to make your life better. That's a Jesus that's being peddled. All you need is Jesus and he'll give you the the, the, the best life you ever wanted because it's all about you and your dreams and your hopes and your desires and meeting all the things that you want in life. You can scroll through the televangelists today, many of whom fleece the people of God for money in exchange for blessings and the comfort and the graces of God through Jesus. I would submit to you that that is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible stands as Lord and King over all. We are his slaves as his people. We come on his invitation, his gracious invitation to lay down our lives and our sin and all the corruption. Not one ounce of which we deserve his grace and he spills out his grace and mercy on us, gives us his spirit, makes us his children, and we spend the rest of our lives serving him and, and sometimes suffering for him in great pain and loss for the glory of God. Are you okay with that this morning? Because if you're not, I'm not sure what Jesus you're following. The Jesus I'm following is a Jesus that says, come follow me. And by the way, you're going to die all the way to the end. You're going to die to yourself, you're going to die numerous times, you're going to die to your dreams, your desires, because it's my glory that matters, and it's my will that matters, and I am sovereign king, and I will have no rival in my life to you. And, um, you know, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate your somewhat hearty applause on that, um, but I'm serious that there, this is a battle in the evangelical church today. There are people who are going hook, line, and sinker with a Jesus that they have manufactured for themselves that has nothing to do with the Jesus that I read in the Bible. And I just, so here, here it is. You need development, but you, you need discernment. Here's a third thing. comes in verse 4. You need assessment. I'm going to have to really pick up my pace here. Um, verse 4 just this little phrase, there are different kinds of gifts. And I'm just going to say to that point that we're going to explore what those different kinds of gifts are. And you need to assess those gifts and we, and by the way, it's interesting that in verses 4 through 6, you'll notice that the triune God is introduced. We, fee, we see the Spirit in verse 4. We see the Lord, implication of the Lord Jesus, verse 5. And we see God, implication of the Father, in verse 6. We see the triunity or the trinity in verses 4 through 6. People always ask, well, oh, the trinity is not mentioned in the Bible. It's all over the Bible. And right here is a great example because the Spirit distributes spiritual gifts. And the reason why Paul is making a point, I believe, under the inspiration of the Spirit, to, to, to be clear that we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the Lord Jesus, and we're talking about God the Father, I think he takes pains to actually use those descriptors because he wants the church to know, like he wants us to know, that when we use our spiritual gifts and when we do ministry the way God calls us to do ministry, we're not in competition with each other. There's unity, just like there's unity in the Godhead, even though there's relationship within the Godhead. Father to Son, Son to Spirit, Spirit to Father, all of that. And so there's this relationship of unity. And I think Paul is giving a a really beautiful, somewhat side door example to that unity by expressing the gifts and the workings of the gifts by using Spirit Lord. And, and God the Father. Which, which brings me to verse 5, and that is uh, the issue of involvement. Okay, so I know we're going a little faster here than I planned, but um, development, discernment, assessment, and then involvement. Say the word involvement. This means that we use our gifts and rejoice with others who use their gifts too. Uh, notice in verse 5, There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. The word service there is diakonos. It's the word that means action, involvement. There's really no service unless there's action. It's not a theoretical term. It's a rolling up our sleeves and going to work term. And it's a big miss among many people in the church today that profess involvement with the church means attending the church. <laughs> That's not involvement. Uh, you can attend. Praise God you're attending. If you're a guest, thank you for coming. We're glad you're here. But if you are a follower of Christ and you find this to be a place where you're wanting to grow and, and the way God's wired you and use your gifts and all of that, then eventually it means getting involved. It means stepping out from just attending and actually serving now, the problem is, some of us are actually over-involved. We got we two problems in the church. There's the problem of under-involvement, and that's a lot of people. Just come and attend. Thank you. I punch in. I punch out. Goodbye. You know, that's it. And then there are some who are over-involved. And they've got spiritual gifts that they just decide, you know, man, and it's all for the right reason. There's a need over here. Ah, no one's meeting that need. Boom, I'm over there. Oh, someone else said there's a need over here. Bah, go over there and we start building so much into our service that we don't have time to do other important things. We squeeze out relationships, we squeeze out relationships with non-believers so we can cultivate and plant and reap for the kingdom of God. We we squeeze out relationships with our family. Uh, some of our marriages suffer because we become, you know, we we make our spouses widows or widowers to the church. It's true. I hear it all the time. You know, ever since my husband came to know Christ, he just, he won't do anything else but serve, and I never see him anymore. I've had that happen. Actually, it doesn't happen that often with husbands. It happens the other way with, with wives, mostly. <laughs> I just have to be fair with this illustration. It happens with parents. Ever since my kid came to know Christ, I never see him anymore. It's all about the church, all about the church, all about the church. And boy, those are sensitive conversations. It's like, well... You know, seek first the kingdom of God, glad that we're kingdom focused, let's go, let's move, but we've got relationships, we've got people. So the point is, and I don't want to, I'm taking too long on this already, I say this to a church like this because we've got a lot of folks who do a ton of things around here. And in this series, the Holy Spirit may say, you know what, you need to back off of a couple of things. You need to put a little more balance in your life and hear your pastor say that. Most pastors will never say that. Never say stop doing anything. Just do more. Would you do more, please? You know, that's, that's kind of the marching order. No. We want to have a fair ministry that is biblical. And a biblical ministry says, watch this, nobody burns out. Everybody just is used to their capacities to honor and glorify the Lord. And if you're doing that in your life, if you're involved to in the glory of God, then you're honoring the glory of God. Development, discernment, assessment, involvement. And then lastly, Accomplishment. Say the word accomplishment. What, what I mean by this is that in verse 6, this means that results are anticipated when people know their gifts and exercise them. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Isn't that interesting? Different kinds of gifts, different kinds of service, and different kinds of results. That just fires me up. Because no two persons with the same gift look the same. Your gift might lead you down this road. My gift might lead me down this road and it's the same gift. And when I go down this road and you go down that road, it's going to look differently the way we express it because the Lord is going to call me to things and he's going to call you to do different things. And then the results of all that is going to look different too because God knows how to make it work so that he gets the glory. And it's just, there's nothing more exciting, beloved, really, when the church really gets this. And you know, I don't know how many times we've done a series on service or a series on spiritual gifts or something like this. And you know, I wish I could say that it has just had this cataclysmic change, you know. But the reality is, we kind of go along in short and stutter steps. And yet, because we're in it for the long haul, we're going to keep stuttering along if we need to. But I'm praying, and I want you to join me in prayer, that over these next five weeks, we will see transformational change with the way we look at ministry and the way we do ministry. So why? So that God gets all the glory. So that when people come up here on this hill and they see what's happening, and they're engaged in what's happening. They go away not impressed, but in awe of a God who could do it and chose to do it no other way than to use frail, stutter-step people like you and me. They would just say, God, give me another shot at this. Because I only have, how many years left do you have? Do you know how many years you have? <laughs> you don't. You might think you've got 50 years. You might have one year. You might have one day. So give it all you've got and let his glory shine through. Well, that's a good place to stop for today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. It's it's so beautiful, Lord, to study it and to prepare a simple message. I pray that it's simple. I pray that people catch what we're talking about here today. But Lord, it won't be because I was clever or organized or clear. I guess it's really ever and only because your Holy Spirit brought these words to our hearts and magnified them there. And all for the purpose today of seeing that it's about you and your glory. Help us to keep that straight as we move into this series, Lord. If we don't have that straight, nothing else is going to fit right, Lord. And Lord, maybe you brought someone to this service today that has been kind of living their lives for themselves. They don't realize it, but they've been actually blaspheming your name because you created them to know you and created them to give you glory. And they have been holding and withholding glory by bringing it to themselves or to some project or to some philanthropy or to some idea. We borrow our breath from you. Every day. And so, Lord, may every breath we have offer praise and glory to you. And if you brought someone to understand that today, Lord Jesus, would you just whisper into their ear that today, by faith, they can experience new life, they can leave their life of sin, and follow you and experience a life of fulfillment, a life of forgiveness, and a life of giving you glory. Thank you, Jesus. I'd like you to stand quietly, everybody with me. Would you stand? Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number 3crosses.org.